welcome to the Betsy Betsy Boss Boss Podcast. Podcast. Welcome back. Today is July 27th and we are balls deep into summer and we're balls deep into coronavirus. And speaking of balls, (laughs) speaking of balls, ooh, and summer. (laughs) See where I'm going. Wow, (laughs) hey, Um, and summer and different summertime activities and Corona and how it's impacted Mm -hmm. those activities. Yeah, or you may like to take it to activities or drinking at activities. Exactly. Um, Have y'all seen? that baseball has started up again and the situation with the ball fields, how <laughs> things are looking at the ball fields. It's looking a little weird at the ball fields. Have you noticed? Well, this was what I, you were telling me about this and I know nothing about sports. Don't follow sports. I've been oddly lucky enough to be at a lot of like momentous historic sports events or like, anyway, no idea what's going on right now. Well, let me tell you. So I'm not personally a big baseball person. Go Phillies, but um, I'm more of <laughs> go a Phillies, go Phillies. But I'm more of like a football, basketball, whatever type of person. Mm-hmm. I hope to God there's football this year because people are going to lose their shit, including yeah, me. Yeah, that's going to be food. right. Come on, go Birds! Everybody knows that if you're from Philly. It's a greeting. It's a punctuation. It's anything you want it to be, just to say "Go okay. Birds." Can I? Can I give a, a mini sidebar here? Which give that is sidebar, one of my girl. Favorite, like, know nothing about sports, but you know my family's from Philadelphia. Of course, I know I've told you this before, but when we went over to Ireland, we did a family trip over there, and we were in this cool little pub, um, and there were a bunch of locals there, and. This one guy was just singing songs, like we became chummy. Sea shanties. Yeah, we became chummy with them, and then you know, after singing several songs, he was like, "All right, now you guys have to sing something." The only song we collectively knew as a family was the Eagles' fight song. Of course, yes, and so like that is one of my favorite memories and shows that you know Philly all the time. Bleed green, yes. Fly Eagles, fly. If you don't know the words, it means you're not from Philly because you can't avoid if you're in philly if you're even in like a large crowd of people that has nothing to do with a sporting event somebody will just inevitably start the eagles chant which is e-a-g-l-e-s eagles oh yeah or they'll start to sing our eagles fight song which is fly eagles fly and i won't trouble you with my rendition of fly eagles fly though i do know it well because it's the law of the state well it's just so funny because (laughs) i literally never grew up even back then you know like my my dad especially is a big eagles fan but like i i don't know when we all picked up this song but we did somehow and which the fact is so that, that was the only and first song yeah. to come to mind yes was our sports team's fight song right right it was just insane it was Ugh. so funny and fresh just, off the super bowl win yep it shows you absolutely But um, what's happening in baseball right now is a little weird. So they decided, and I don't know who decided this. I would have loved to be a fly on the wall in the boardroom of people that decided on this. But they now have fake fans. No. And it's only behind like home plate. It's only where the camera picks up. (laughs) There are fake fans sitting in the seats behind home plate. I don't know who these people are. If anybody knows who these people are, (laughs) please. Is it ticket holders? Is it season ticket holders? Is it famous folks around Philly? I don't don't recognize them. Okay. My first thought when you said fake fans was that it was like blow up dolls in the stands. 
It is. Wait, it kind is? of is. So here's Are they the real thing. people? They're not real people. Well, what do you mean? Are they are modeled they, after real people? No, no, no. Are they living, living They're folks? not real like, people. They're like, they're either cardboard no! cutouts. Are you serious? Or they're on like a white, there's a white background on them. What? Anybody who has seen this shit, I mean, you've got to write us. Do you think it's us. a green screen? It's, no. Like, that's what's messed up about it is it's, I think if it was a green screen, first of all, they should have done a green screen. Yeah. Secondly, if it was a green screen, I think they would have covered Ew! all of the seats. But they've only oh. covered the first well, few rows. Unless they would have. Are they are they sitting next to each other or are they yeah, social distancing? Si- so get this: some <laughs> of the, they're all sitting next to each other, but some of them, like Stop every it. few, is wearing a mask. I noticed. Oh my! But it's not all of them. God. This so is, I'm like, what the hell? This is stupid. And then get this: on top of that, now it's it begs the question: who is this for? Yeah. Okay. Is it for the players? Do they need this is to it have to them trick around? children? Is like, it to, right? Like not is ruining it to, Santa type right, of thing? Like, because it can't possibly be for our benefit that it doesn't look so good weird. it looks ridiculous it's so silly they don't look real because it's oh, like this weird white so background weird. and so get this on top of the visual reminder oh, that there are no. quote-unquote fans in the stands there's also an auditory no. cue, and what they have is just this rolling track I don't know if they play it at the stadium <laughs> like the laugh track on it's like sitcom. a laugh track of literal <laughs> cheering and just fan noise Ew, rolling that's through so weird it is the oddest thing ever and i just i would love if any of our listeners could contact us and tell us if anybody has a positive experience with these things i brought it Ooh. up to my dad he shot me down he was like people miss sports people miss sports so <laughs> what alone. do you want and i was like buddy I miss sports as much as the next fat person, but I don't see why we need to have blow-up dolls oh, in the my. seats. Okay, and also, like you're saying, who are these people? Who are these people? Who are the faces that the are behind there? Who the life-size figurines made of them? Who, like, literally, is it famous Philadelphians? It, who is it? That actually would be kind of funny. It would be hilarious. If Ben Franklin was in the stands, Betsy Ross. Yeah, but that, the- w- that would be kind of funny, though, like, if it was oh, recognizable picture. Like, and that would draw people in to watch the game. Exactly. That, like, who can you spot in the crowd? But like, what's odd about it is it's just these very poor, like, first of all, you oh have my no God. clue who these people yeah, are. Yeah, we need some Maybe visuals. someone does. I did not know this was where this was going to go. I'm going to show we were you, and just you're going to die, because it <laughs> is, is so weird. weird fake fans we're gonna look up baseball that is just so you're gonna die and to me even having the like laugh track version of cheering or whatever is eerie like ew this is even creepier look at this shit that's ew. what it looks like oh that's what you mean by the oh so they didn't even do a good job of like cu- and that's in asia i think but they didn't even do a good job of cutting them out no like whoever cut them out is they clearly got them printed at kinko's and were too cheap to like do cut them out in an actual figure. It's the oddest thing. So it's creepy. Ew. And there are reports that they're scaring people. People yeah. don't like watching them because it's just this goofy thing. Oh, my God. It reminds me of, <laughs> I don't know, which which award show, but like the Oscars or something where you see them like marking seats beforehand of like, who's going to sit here? Like, ugh, I don't right. know. It's just weird. Oh, it's so weird it's so funny oh though. my god and you know what i'm just looking now so it looks like 
so there's cardboard cutouts, and that's the ones that I've seen. Mm-hmm. But now oh I'm reading a story about how Fox is, for the Major League Baseball games, has these weird oh virtual fans. Like holograms. Like holograms. Ew. And it's just, it's talking about how it's really creeping people out. Like, all these weird virtual fans that are, like, kind of popping in, popping out during the broadcast. It's like, it's like a Madame Tussauds, like, even, even worse version of it. Yes, exactly. Like, it's so unusual. And it's distracting. Like, if they're hologramming them in, are they trying to make them, like, someone's walking up the aisle? You know what I mean? Like, make it natural, which is really creepy. It's really creepy. And it's just... Obviously, the technology is impressive. It's very cool that they can do this. But, like, first of all, we're seeing kind of two ends of the spectrum here with the cardboard cutouts that couldn't even be well cut out enough (laughs) to cut out the white background. (laughs) And then the virtual fans who are doing God knows what. Oh, my God. You're you're going to have Michael Jackson moving (laughs) in the audience. Put Tupac up there. Oh, my God. I swear they put on a thing before that would be really fun this is how they could get people to watch is if they did like a like celebrities um, well or even like back from the dead edition like everyone in the audience is gonna be that or like famous baseball (laughs) player bring Babe Ruth back yeah like not that I would recognize him but you know whatever still still yeah that Um, that would get me to even like put it on your YouTube channel and I'd watch those clips oh for sure for sure but anyway so that's, that's who's sort of having the quote-unquote best week ever here are the cardboard baseball oh fans God. who just sit permanently grinning in the stands okay creepily. last note on this but like can you imagine it's your job after the game to like collect Sweep up them up and then put them in an office somewhere Ew. Like, and I, i'll I tell you know. where i don't want to be that office yeah wherever those things are getting stored oh my yikes. god that's like yeah. the movie mannequin but like i was just thinking that uh, yes Yes. It's worse in a way. Oh my god! Thank God they yes. chose not to go with mannequins because honestly, oh. I was never the same after Kim Cattrall's rendition of <laughs> Ugh, the mannequin coming to life. God, talk about the mannequin challenge, right? Scare oh. the <laughs> scare the living daylights out of me, oh, honestly. Oh, that's insane. But uh, the other person who I think is also making the most of quarantine is a little fella named Jason Derulo. Oh, this. You are on point with the, the like fun facts today. You oh, the stories of the day. I just cannot get over this. So, on TikTok, which all the kids are using apparently, <laughs> excuse me, I'm almost 30 years old, yeah, but sorry, I, I love it. References, but I still like it. Right, I love it, and it's so much fun. And I'm sorry, <laughs> you kids tried to make it inaccessible to us, but we That's figured right. it out. Guess what? It doesn't work like Instagram, but I'm still there. <laughs> <laughs> we found the secret code, and yes, now we're good. Yes, but you know, so we're on TikTok, and. For a long time, there was this little dance because every song on TikTok has a little themed oh, yes. dance and every little themed dance sometimes has a little themed trope where a certain eventuality will come about and a song will kind of illustrate the point and punctuate the different moments in the little acting thing you over make, the course. You make TikTok sound like it's like a, like beautiful, a poetic. Like. Yes, like a musical expression oh, of my God. Yeah, uh, creativity. Like, oh. But in any event, so there's all these different tropes, there's all these different songs, and there's dances to go along with them. Now, one of these is Lax Beat, 
Um, oh, I didn't and even know it had a name. <laughs> I think that's what it's called, or laxed, something like that, by Josh. <laughs> right? And it, rem- <laughs> it reminds me of John in Philadelphia. We call anything a John. It's a noun. Um, this person's name is Josh, J-A-W-S-H, like Josh, but Josh. And the dance is super simplified, right? It's a little cute ditty that goes, boop, boop, boo, do 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 and there's a simple little dance it requires very little movement if you were morbidly obese you could do it i know because i've done it (laughs) and it is just this easy little thing to learn people have been doing it nonstop. get this jason derulo hasn't been heard from in 10 years right maybe six years i don't want to be unkind (laughs) to him he's a great guy i mean if it feels like a like here's a a term the kids use it feels like a middle school high school bop oh it does feel (laughs) like a bop he i mean he was known for these crazy high notes that he hits he's got this crazy voice that just spans the chords of the piano whatever and he you know had want to want me he had um yeah what were the geez all i can remember is that jason garulo in my head Oh yeah, I see, right? I see you do- is that him? No, no, that's not him. He's got some good ones. He's got all kinds of. Oh, this is gonna bother me. Yeah, yeah. What? Let's let's go through his top hits. I mean, he was he was out there for a little while. He was oh, he doing his damn was. thing. I would say in like what it was probably when we were in law school. I think really? there was some. You think it was that late. I know there was want to want me was law school. You're the one I want to want me. Oh, oh, there we go. Yeah. Yep. And then Swalla. Swalla-la-la. And then Wiggle, Wiggle, Wiggle. Oh. Talk Dirty to Me. That was 2013. Okay. So you are right. Yeah. So anyway. Okay. He had some good songs in like 2013, 2010. He had Ride Solo. Oh my God. Which 2010 is the year that we're going to focus on here today in our story. Well, you should have left that for our transition i know what a bummer um but in any event jason derulo somehow has been super active on tiktok i don't know how old he is but he is hip with the young kids and he is on tiktok he has been for the entirety of quarantine yes and he oh he is a smart guy that he is a smart man he's get this he's 30 years old he's our age Okay, so he shouldn't be on TikTok by the standards. Yes, but we're going to capitalize on his stuff when you go yes. to Betsy Boss TikTok, which we'll talk Ooh, about later. Spoiler. So Jason Derulo, genius that he is, found this snappy little tune that everybody's been dancing to. Smart. smart and smart. the mofo put it in a song. Must have bought the rights yeah. to the little tune, put it in a song, called it Savage Love. And now everybody's dancing to this tune. Oh, my God. I can't get over it. The guy is a genius, and he's a 30-year-old genius, which makes it even more genius that he hacked into this childhood website that everybody is so into. (laughs) Childhood website. I cannot get over it. That is brilliant, though, because... Jason has hacked childhood. As TikTok dies, a song... You know what I mean? Like, even as, as that... Um, little trend dies on tick like that song will live, live on. on yeah 100%. that will be how it's remembered yes that and is so smart he just oh my god cunning brilliant he's all over it i can't even get over it i'm, yeah. I'm proud of him honestly hey. 
I don't know if he's from Philly, but he he performed, hey. I think, for our Fourth of July. So no way. I don't know if anybody right. was out well, honorary, there. Honorary, you know. Honorary Philadelphian here. <laughs> I don't know if anybody was out there, but yeah, God knows. I mean, oh. you probably shouldn't have been out there because good yeah. luck social distancing. Well, but Jason Derulo, right? Oh, Jason Derulo, you smart cookie. God knows you are using this smart. quarantine. That is that is. Oh, yeah, he's using it to the maximum. Yeah, he, which it, we should have a quarantine comeback compilation, right? Oh, you know, sometime. Such a good and idea. that is that is that's one for the, the oh, books there. He is definitely in the, the running girlfriend. Yep. There's no question there. Yeah. But when we talk about <laughs> how Let's are we use the do 2010. This? I love the 2010 transition. Yes. Okay. There. So I mean, we really know Jason Derulo from his <laughs> This is probably <laughs> the soundtrack of the of the events. Yeah, there we you go. Know, driving in the car, listening to Jason Derulo. Yes. <laughs> honestly, some of these um, sex workers were most likely listening to Jason Derulo in their cars, in their vehicles, exactly. being driven when they were on the way to get murdered by today's topic. <laughs> on the way to get murdered. Sign me up. Right? Got my murder Fun. appointment. Murder Express. <laughs> um, and they were headed to meet the Long Island Killer. Yeah. So this story starts with Shannon Gilbert. It is um, May 1st, 2010. Like we said, she's in the car. Listening listening to to Jason Derulo, Derulo. probably. Oh, this is awful. Riding solo. Oh, my God. Well, she sadly would be riding solo or wishing she were. Oh, Um, so she was she was in the car with her driver. Name was Michael Pack. Um, black SUV, which is important. It's a detail that's remembered. Mm-hmm. So she's leaving New York City shortly after midnight on May 1st, 2010. And she's headed to a gated community in Oak Beach on Long Island. Um, so she was going to meet a client that she had um, set up an appointment with through Craigslist. Like we said, she was um, a sex worker. And um, this was something she had been doing for a bit now. She got dropped off just about at 2 a.m. and then was there for a little bit and closer to like 5, a little before 5 a.m., all of a sudden she runs out of the house and she in a crazy is feverish in a panic. panic. Yeah. Um, now, keep in mind, like I said, she's kind of in the middle of this dark, open Nothing going Beachy on out there. town. It's very much like Jersey, if anybody has been. <laughs> it's very much like Jersey. <laughs> it's much like Jersey when you sort of drive through you the know. Pine Barrens. and Looking for the Jersey big devil. Areas. Yeah, looking for the devil, <laughs> the devil himself. It's probably who she was running from. Right? And yeah. you just see nothing but big expanses of beaches and kind of a rare house here and there. Right. Yeah. So she's she's out there and she's running in the dark down this, this dark road. Um, and she comes upon the first place that she sees light. Mm-hmm. And it's this man named Gus Coletti. So it's 5 a.m. She comes up to the house and she is in a panic. Um, she's saying, they're trying to kill me. They're coming for me. Like, she is just losing her mind. Yes. On the way there, I believe she had tried to call 911, but she didn't know where she was. Yeah. And get this. The 911 call was 23 minutes yeah, long, yeah, which that... is a really long call. Right. And for nobody to come, I mean, did you have a, an idea as to why they didn't come? Is it because yeah, so, they got the feeling that she was hysterical? Like, what what was going on there? So it, it pretty much from what I was seeing in this 
documentary that I, you know, kind of took a lot of these notes for this first um, part, it was because they couldn't pinpoint her location. Right. Because she didn't know where she was. But still to me, for 23 minutes for them to not, it's not like we're back in the, in the Lindbergh baby days. Right. Where, this like, is 2010. Yeah. Where you got to keep them on the phone for a certain amount of time to be able to coordinate. Track them yeah, down. Like, yeah. Place the coordinates or whatever. Like that to me. And even if she's moving, she's not, mo- she's on foot. So right. she's not so she's moving not going in a fast. car. Exactly. Yeah. So pretty much what they said was that it took so long. They didn't arrive actually. So so she left and she's arriving at this guy's house at 5 a.m. Police didn't arrive until 6 a.m. Right. And they only were able to kind of um, figure out where they were supposed to go, as they said, because of this guy, Gus Coletti, calling the police after she had arrived at his house. Right. So she arrives at his house and is, again, hysterical, screaming, and he's telling her to stay right here calling the police yeah don't worry about yeah. it she he's she seemed totally irrational and crazed yeah but he you know obliged her and called the cops and then the broad just ditches him right yeah so and runs into the night she was well at least what i was seeing in this one so she's definitely panicking and just you know going a little crazy here over things she was um out there and she saw the black suv with her Mm -hmm. driver starting to come and that's when she panicked and took off again from his house and then like you said just ran off into the night and meanwhile now run away from your only lifeline the car that has been hired to take you around from place to place well but the theory or question is when she's saying they're trying to kill me who Who was was she she talking about yeah uh, Gus Coletti said that when he called the police, he went to the front to the gates of the community to meet them. And he said that they just did not seem concerned at all. Right. Um, and th- he thinks that it has to do probably, you know, as you've seen before with her being a sex worker and just being there being less concern for individuals that are out there like that and something happens to them. Right. And in fact, I mean, it's super sad. So. I was listening to something where they sort of went into just the anatomy of a murderer, the anatomy of somebody who kills in this way, a serial Mm -hmm. killer. And one of the ways that this kind of predilection can manifest is that some of these serial killers can have a symbolic significance tied to prostitutes, specifically. So they'll attach some sort of significance to prostitutes and they feel like they have to go around sort of culling the herd and cleansing the world of these oh, wrongdoers. I, I, yeah. And it's sort of this like hyper moralistic point of view where the prostitute symbolizes immorality. The killer thinks he's ridding the world of these impure people, whatever. So it's sad because... In a sense, you know, there's the theory that the police in this instance didn't have the real drive to look for Shannon because she was a sex worker. But then the killer may or may not have had a certain urge to kill her because of that very career. Yep. Yeah. And a a lot of times, too, like the um, Green River killer out in Seattle, I think it was. It was a similar thing. He only killed sex workers and a lot of them it's a combination or or one or the other of that, like you're saying, um, kind of this moralistic viewpoint as to like these women 
are asking for it deserve to be killed because they're making poor choices um but another thing is just the fact of them knowing that the police aren't going to be sure as you know like invested invested in in searching for these women um i think even with shannon that they told her family oh she probably ran away or maybe it was one of the other victims but that often is the case that oh they're living a high-risk lifestyle and you know it's it's kind of like well there's not much we can do about it and there's just not really this drive to really research and look into these cases right and it would really be very opportunistic for a serial killer who already has the urge to kill to go after a population like sex workers because they know that they're not going to be sought after they're not going to be looked for there's going to be a low level of care when it comes to researching those cases in general Mm -hmm. so who knows but in any event shannon went missing that night um and eventually the case started to get researched yeah but it took it took a about seven months i believe um for her family to really push the police into actually looking into it you know they were adamant that something was wrong and that she didn't just run away So it was actually then in uh, December of 2010 when a police officer and his dog on a routine training exercise were out in um, off the side of the North Ocean Parkway and they actually came across a body. But the twist is it's not Shannon's. (laughs) It ain't Shannon. And not only that, but it had friends. Yeah. 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 So (laughs) it had friends friends out there. Oh, it had good company. Yeah. So yeah, the cop is just walking around and he comes across a body. He assumes it's Shannon. You know, he's like, maybe this is this girl that we've all been looking for. Whoops. It's not. And by the way, there's three more and they all have the same body type. They all have the same body type as Shannon. Mm -hmm. And, you yeah. know, it was a serial killer graveyard that yeah. he had stumbled upon. And they were all also, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think I'm right, um, that all of these women were sex workers that advertised their services on Craigslist. Yep. They were all found strangled yes. to death. And I believe they were all found in burlap sacks. Yes. Yep. And I believe Shannon was the only one, and, you know, we'll talk about kind of differentiating between Shannon's case and the cases of this other group of four women who are found on Gilgo Beach. But one of the ways in which the four, the Gilgo four, are different from Shannon is that they were all found in burlap sacks. They were all found buried to some extent. Shannon was actually found kind of floating in the water above the surface. She wasn't buried at all. Um, which is what led police to actually say maybe she drowned. Yeah, and this is spoiler alert here because she was actually found just about a year later um, on December 13th in 2011, not too far from um, where she disappeared. It's about a half mile from where she disappeared in a marsh. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's interesting to me, so the the women found initially in December 2010 – uh, were all said to have been strangled. And Shannon, her family, had doubts about uh, the cause of death being accidental. So the mm-hmm. theory is that she is is panicked. She runs through this marsh, um, a lot of, like, I don't want to say grasses, but, like, tall uh, Yeah, you could sort of picture. kind of. And she trips, she falls, she gets stuck, she dies. Right. Um, and she drowns. But 
what's interesting to me is um you might know about this with the bio background her <laughs> hyoid bone in her mm-hmm. in her neck i think believe her neck uh like neck esophagus area um was actually it was part of it was missing mm-hmm. but it also showed signs of possibly being broken and that is very indicative of somebody being strangled and is also kind of difficult to break in a way of just it, it just seems like it would be a little awkward for somebody to kind of trip fall drown and accidentally break, break their neck yeah. yeah that's exactly right I mean I think once that um Hyrule Brown was determined to be broken the coroner I guess said it sort of showed that strangulation was likely not necessarily proven but definitely likely they said it could have also been just like the harsh elements that the body was in because it was out there for a year yeah so it had a lot of time to deteriorate to get washed around in the brush and in the scavengers whatever yeah so but they did say that there was no evidence of drowning in fact um, the family attorney jumped on this theory because the Suffolk County Police Department were pushing the whole, this was an accident, this yeah. was a drowning theory. It didn't sit right with the family, and the family attorney totally hopped on it and said this was completely nonsensical, and that in the area that Shannon was found, she would have had to work at drowning in that shallow of water. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a good point. And yeah, I mean, that whole thing, that whole accusation kind of opened the police department to all of these theories that maybe they weren't properly investigating this mm-hmm. murder. Yeah, and another thing, um, jumping ahead just a little bit, is the fact that the FBI uh, didn't join the case until December of 2015. The chief, he had uh, apparently kept the FBI out of the case. So again, not joining until December 2015, like five years later, really. You know what's crazy? In the time between when the police started the search for Shannon and found Shannon, six more bodies were found. Okay, so that's on top of the four that were found when they first started kind of walking around the guy and his dog, the cop who was off duty and his dog. That makes 11 victims, at least six of which were sex workers. And they were all suddenly getting looped together as potentially the victims of the same killer. And a lot of connections even amongst the victims themselves. And like we said, the the official kind of story out there is that Shannon's not grouped in with these other 10. But even these other 10 have kind of different groupings amongst themselves. Um, I'm thinking to kind of the ways that they were killed and then connection, the, the ones that really were crazy to me where there where body parts were found in one location and then years later yeah something else would wash up which is crazy so i don't know if we want to kind of just give a a quick kind of rundown of um the different victims and a little bit of history on the or you know background on it yeah why not i think um the first that they sort of talk about in conjunction with shannon i don't know if she was the first body that came up or was just one of those first four was Melissa Bartellamy, and she is just, it's such a sad story. The killer, first of all, killed Melissa, dumped her body, okay, and kept her cell phone. So this this was just deeply sad and creepy and awful. Um, So the serial killer, whoever he is, she is, whatever, 
found the sister's number, Melissa's sister's number, within the phone and started calling her, right? How creepy. He would continuously taunt the sister through the phone. He'd leave the sister terrified, shaken up. She was so scared to even reveal her full identity. Oh, I bet. And he would leave these little clues to catching him. But they'd obviously always leave the sister and anybody in her camp coming up short. Yeah. And and you, of course, she's going to pick up the phone if she sees her sister's number. Of course. Calling, which is awful. And I'm sure he knew that. Exactly. Yeah. And he was really smart about it. He always kept the calls brief. The cops could never trace him because Clearly, he was always. Clearly, because they're terrible. Because they're awful at tracing, <laughs> obviously, with the 25-minute call yeah. that Shannon had placed earlier in our story. But he would always make these calls from super busy areas. He called from Midtown Manhattan. He called from Massapequa. And he would then just dispose of the phone after calling from these busy areas. So it was just so messed up, deeply sad. He obviously was getting off on kind of reliving this murder by traumatizing the sister of the murder. And, and you have to think, like, how could he not be involved? Even if he's not the murderer, mm-hmm. how does he get a hold of that phone? I, he knows something. You know what I mean? It's yeah, not just he's like he's connected. picking up a phone on the side of the road and like, oh, right. let me find mom, dad, or, you know, like the names in the phone, sister, caller. Exactly. And yeah. he's... Yeah, somehow involved, somehow looped into this. So, and Melissa was sort of similar again to um, Shannon because she was also a sex worker. She had a small build. Um, like many of these other women, she um, advertised her services on Craigslist, like you said a minute ago. And, you know, it's just really, really sad. They were kind of in these desperate circumstances. And even Shannon grew up most of her life in foster care, it Mm -hmm. sounds like. And she was working to reunite with her family. And she finally did get there. But even then, it's kind of not even enough. And uh, it just makes you sad because it's just these wayward folks that kind of lose their way and get lost in this difficult world where you're just a target for violence. Yeah. And so I'm just looking at my notes here on, um, so these first four women that are kind of grouped together, again, like we said, um, all sex workers, all strangled, all found um, in the burlap sacks, obviously in the similar locations. And it's just striking how many of the uh, characteristics are the same and even just the timeline. So starting off, so Melissa that you just mentioned um, was 24. So they're all, I'll go through, you know, the ages and everything, but she was 24 and went missing in 2009. Another woman that was found was Maureen Brainerd Barnes, who was 25 and last seen in July of 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, also, shortly after her disappearance, a friend of uh, Maureen's received a call from a man on an unfamiliar number and he claimed that he had just seen Maureen of course refused to identify himself and said that he would call back and and give this friend the address but he never did and again it's just like these little details it really makes you makes it clear that to me at least that these first four are most likely connected yeah there's no way yeah I mean my gosh 
And you had Amberlynn Costello. I don't know how old she was. She was 27. There you go. Yep. And so another one in this mid to, you know. Yeah, they're all like right in their mid-20s. Yeah, and she got all these calls from a client offering 1500 for services. Um, and it's just so sad. Kind of a similar thing. I mean, yeah. desperate times. She saw all that money and I guess went with it. And meanwhile, her sister, who's also a sex worker, apparently says that she would be using Craigslist into the future in the same way as her sister to try and oh, identify wow. her killer. So, like in a hope oh, that somebody would try and get her. So and she'd, scary, though. Like going uh, undercover without going undercover. Do you exactly. Know what I mean? like, wow, without the protection or, or anybody listening in or a wire. Or right, anything. helping you out without yeah. the team. Um, and I guess Megan Waterman was the last one. Yeah, I don't have um, too many details on Megan, but she was 22. So again, right in that kind of mid-20s range. Um, she was from Maine, and she went missing in 2010. So these four um, cases, these women went missing between the years of 2007 and 2010. And right. that's pretty, you know, it, it, it makes sense that a, a killer would kind of ramp up, too, because looking, um, the first one would be Maureen, 2007, Melissa, 2009, and then Megan and Amber were both in 2010. So even just looking at, um, you know, a serial killer's patterns, they do tend to ramp up once mm-hmm. they become more comfortable with committing these crimes nice yeah so the the time period getting shorter in between those two would definitely make sense right absolutely all right so then we go on to four more sets of remains discovered on march 29th and april april 4th um they were within two miles of so close that's like i I wish, but I don't, that I knew this area better because all I picture is this, like, long strip of of desolate land where, mm-hmm. you know, on the sides of the road, it's like they might as well just go along or do an aerial scan over, you know, and see what's up there or down yeah, there. <laughs> it's so true. It's kind of this long, I mean, there's a reason Long Island's called Long Island. Yeah. It's just a long strip of land with kind of this marshy area, beachy area. And it would just be so easy, and it seems like it was so easy for this person to just dispose of these remains kind of once every couple miles. And in fact, some of these different remains, remains from different deceased people, were found within a half mile of each other, which is crazy. That's so close together. But it's interesting, too, because given the environment, there is the theory, too, that yes, it could be a serial killer, and even some of these could be part of a serial killer killing spree but um it could just be that it's a great dumping ground to right for anybody for anybody and that it's multiple killers out there and again going to kind of the different ways um there were some victims that were dismembered and it's just different manners of killing and that kind of indicates that it probably in my opinion is more than one killer yeah different mo yeah because because if they're not getting caught there's no reason for them to change their mo right or or if there's you know nobody's on to them there's no reason to change be like this isn't the same yeah dismember a guy this is the guy who chopped (laughs) off their heads stanley strangler now right (laughs) exactly yeah so these four um victims um they included two women a man and a toddler 
and these were all partial remains. Uh, they were found in Nassau County, but these uh, victims were believed to have been murdered prior to those found in 2010. Right. So it's like they're coming across another patch now, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Which is horrifying. Yep. And then in addition to that, they do expand their search a little bit more and eventually find three more unidentified um, individuals. And these were found amongst, I believe, the identified individuals in that second group as well. Um, but there's, interesting, interestingly, a John Doe. And he is an Asian male who is based on, I guess, um, what he was found in or, or remnants um, around his body was believed to have actually been dressing as a woman. So, again, it kind of fits still in that Same MO. Profile. Yeah, and working possibly as a sex worker. There was also the body of a baby found approximately 250 feet away from, um, she was at the time Jane Doe number six, but she had been identified as Valerie Mack actually just in May of 2020. And then finally, there is Peaches slash Jane Doe number three. And she was given this name because of a peach tattoo that she had on her body. So Mm. we're racking it up there in the victim count. Yeah, absolutely. It's just a giant gravesite at this point. Yeah. And amidst all of these people who were identified to be likely victims Could be of grouped the, together. Yeah, the Long Island killer. There were also this other these other groups of just potential people who could have fallen under that same umbrella. Yeah. And it just, you know, it could kind of keep going and it's hard to say whether these people were actually victims of the Long Island killer or if they were just separate murders where people figured out, hey, this is a really good dumping ground for, you know, my dirty laundry, my skeletons in the closet, what have you. Yeah. And and I mean, given the terrain and everything, it's just like how many other bodies could be out there that they just haven't come across yet? Oh, 100%. So what's really interesting just kind of about Shannon's killing and about the killings in general, if Shannon were to be associated with these other killings the long island killings when shannon called 911 that 23 minute call that we were kind of joking yeah. about where you know why could they not locate her what was taking them so long whatever when she placed that call the police department obviously holds on to calls like this for right. investigation purposes and what's unusual about this is that the police department never released the tapes of the call to the family or to anybody else. And the lawyers for the police department argue that it would jeopardize the investigation, that, Mm. you know, this investigation has been ongoing and releasing the tapes would somehow, you know, put things at risk, would put the whole investigation at risk and would hold it up and would interfere. And really though, that's yeah, kind of how, how could that, that be right there's so many other cases out there where surveillance footage or you know 911 calls are released to the public because they may there may be something there that the police aren't seeing or hearing and even if there's not anything which if there's not anything then why would it 
jeopardize the case and why can it not be released like Mm -hmm. why would it be problematic in the first place right and what's interesting here is that the police were the ones if you recall from a couple minutes ago we mentioned that the police were really pushing the theory that Shannon's death was an accident and a you know probable drowning she probably just was you know coked up and stumbled into the into the water and fell and drowned and whatever. Right. So, okay, if that's the case, right. yeah. then why, Again. what's so scary about this call that would call that into question? Right. Aren't you saying that's a closed case and why can't you file a FOIA request then if it's a closed case and get that released? Exactly. So that leads me and a lot of other folks to believe that there is something on this call that the police do not want yeah. the public to know about. So what is it? I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's somebody kind of in the police force who had something to do with this. Maybe somebody is maybe related to someone. Maybe it's Dr. Hackett in the background <laughs> screaming, come back. Maybe it's, maybe it's Dr. Hackett who had literally nothing to do with anything. <laughs> He's Hacking just people psycho. up. He's yeah. just a weirdo with yeah. a defibrillator. Um, <laughs> Freaking lunatic. Um, but, Sorry, I was trying to segue there. <laughs> oh, no, it was a perfect segue. So let's get into these different suspects. So let's start with Dr. Hackett oh. because what the hell dr wackett dr wackett doctor <laughs> didn't hack anybody oh up on God. the long island coast the guy <laughs> claims that he saw shannon the night she disappeared and two days after her disappearance he somehow gets shannon's mother's phone number and calls her <laughs> And says he was yeah, in a. I love this. He, he's just a whack oh. job. He is Doctor Wackett for a, a reason. Somehow he's a doctor, though. Like, Somehow he's a doctor. I don't know what is he a doctor of though. Probably like freaking what's his face? I'm forgetting his name. The guy from Dr. Tiger Death? King. Oh, Doctor Death. Yes, yeah, seriously. Ugh. Ugh. But in any event, I don't know what kind of doctor this guy is. But he somehow gets a hold of Shannon's mom's phone number calls her after her disappearance it's only been two days he says i was in a house full of girls and (laughs) shannon was really upset and i gave her some meds to calm her down because you know i'm a doctor and seemed really distressed and i'm just calling to check in on her you know make sure she's okay and this guy was a former physician for the suffolk county police he was living in oak beach which is where shannon was found and you well, know. the marsh was apparently, like, just near his backyard, too, where her oh, body was found. get this. So, apparently, when Shannon's mother was taken by the investigator to the site where they found the body, she was taken directly to, oh, you guessed his, it, yes. Dr. Hackett's back yes, porch. Yes, like, balcony to overlook the marshlands. Yes, so they literally took her to, here's his back porch, and hey, look over there and you'll see where your daughter yeah. was viciously murdered and left to die. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. Why? Well, can I say, though, my favorite thing, and I lose, I use favorite in a, you know, ironic way. Yes. Um, was that he told her mother that he ran a home for wayward girls. Which, what? Yeah. How does this come into play? Like, this is he's a crack doctor a whack he's doctor a I don't lunatic know. dr crackett yeah honestly Dave crockett and oh <laughs> they just so and then in the same breath so 
Shannon's family does what any reasonable family would do. Anybody litigious, they're in New York. Come on. Yeah. They file civil suit against the guy because they're like, you rendered medical care that contributed to Shannon's death. Right. Thanks a lot. You put her on drugs and then she ran into the ocean. Right. And then you Great told job. us about it. And then you told us about it. So then immediately he takes back his statement. He says, I never met Shannon. I never treated her. And I didn't run a home for Wayward mm-hmm. Girls. Okay. I think at first he even denied that it was him calling. Yeah. Didn't he? And then he eventually fessed up and yeah. And then, yeah. And then he kind of comes back and says, oh, wait, I did call Shannon's mom, but it was just to offer my support. Yeah. Now, this was once they kind of turned loose the phone records. They figured out what was going on. They saw a clear phone call. Hack it to Mm -hmm. fucking Mary, Shannon's mother. And he obviously called her and he's like, I was just calling to offer support. Now, who would do that? You're a random guy with no connection to the family. What is going on here? That is not rational at all. Right. mm. Now, the guy was later cleared. I mean, the suit was dismissed, the civil suit. And, you know, they found that his wife, son, and daughter were all living in the house at Oak Beach at the time of the murder. So he wouldn't have been by himself. There were just a lot of things that didn't add up. Yeah. But they found out that Dr. Crackett was a bit of a crack pot. Yeah. And that he always wanted attention. He was always interjecting himself into every little thing. He was like the town busybody who constantly oh had to be the center of attention. Yeah. So basically, he was a drama queen, but just bizarre guy. Yeah, that just like, okay, fine. You can be a nosy neighbor, but like... To, At what point? Yeah, you- to like interject yourself into these like legal issue like i just i don't know that just is crazy to me yes but um my favorite part hinting to the defibrillator there yes um do you know what he was coming out of i think he was leaving the court after being deposed by shannon's family's attorney right and uh the media approached him and were trying to ask him for a comment or (laughs) something <laughs> this just you got to look this video up because it is just, wild yeah he starts j- jiving Shrieking, and dancing jumping yeah. all over the place yeah, talk about a hologram it's my defibrillator <laughs> yeah he's like and, and they're like <laughs> <laughs> and the 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 media person they're like y'all right are, doc are like are you okay somebody call 911 and he's like no i'm okay i'm a doctor i'm a, I'm a doctor, doctor. Don't because call a doctor can obviously save himself from a heart attack <laughs> yeah Although great there idea was a doctor that performed an appendectomy on himself in world Holy war ii wow there's a picture of it oh my god Ooh, i would not have the fact, wherewithal it's terrible yuck um <laughs> anyway though um <laughs> you gotta watch this video though it's it is worth like, watching <laughs> if you just look up dr hackett yeah Long Island killer. Yeah. I mean, you'll figure it out. Yeah. But, but talk about drama queen. Like this is a huge drama queen. Drama queen obviously threw a fit the second yeah. that he was suspected, but also wanted to be suspected, wanted to be involved. Right. right. Just God forbid they forget about you. Oh my God. Ugh. Yeah. And the other person who you would immediately think might be to blame was the John that evening. Right. So the man to whom um, Shannon was catering uh, with her services, the sex worker services. There's always a John to every sex worker, and this fellow's name was John Brewer, but he was cleared super quickly. There was just no evidence of wrongdoing. It sounds yeah. like he was kind of in his house, hanging out, you know, getting his fix of daily sex worker from Craigslist, and it sounds like to him, he kind of 
was mystified as to why um, Shannon was even upset in the first place, why she seemed all of a sudden flustered and fearful and thinking people were going to kill her. So he was pretty quickly cleared. Yeah. And I do want to mention, too, she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Yes. Um, So you can take that either way. I can see how people would use that as part of the narrative that, you know, it was clearly she was having a manic episode. Um, But I don't think that that necessarily should be the forefront of this case like oh just she's written off because she has bipolar disorder she was crazy so one of the minor suspects was sarah it was actually the younger sister of shannon and she was a suspect because she was accused of stabbing her mother to death and she actually it was confirmed that she was the stabber and in doing so she got rid of a key witness the key witness really um, because Shannon's mother was there to kind of drive this case forward. Was she was say, very yeah. zealous and was pushing everything, you know, to a head. And with Sarah killing her, that witness was gone. That initiative was gone. So Sarah was later diagnosed with schizophrenia and hospitalized multiple times for the same. And she ended up pleading not guilty and said that it was insanity that caused her to kill her mother fine um and it just it doesn't fit the profile that she could have done all of this or could have killed her sister yeah and even uh, to me there's definitely reason to at least investigate and think about shannon being connected to these other cases and even if she's not like i can't see her sister going through this whole you know all this stuff and killing her and disposing of her body that way right yeah it just would be way too much and too elaborate to have her running away from the driver and then somehow her sister picks her up and killed like i don't know that's just crazy to me yeah um the other kind of minor one that is interesting to me Mm -hmm. is the media has speculated about this killer who's um only known as joe c and he is, they're saying, a white male between uh, his mid-20s to his mid-40s and is definitely familiar with this area of Long Island. thing that's interesting to me is he also has access to burlap sacks. Mm, uh, he not also, good. Yeah. One person was James Bissett, who's sort of in the same um, situation with the burlap. They were looking for people who had access to burlap. Yeah. Because obviously all weird of these fact. Women, it's odd. Yeah. And it's like, who would have access to enough of these sacks that they could kind of use that as their main form of disposal right. of these bodies? And James Bissett was one of these folks. So two days after Shannon was found, her remains were found, um, James Bissett killed himself while in his car in um, a local park and he actually ran a nursery which was the Mm -hmm. main supplier of burlap for the entire region yeah and if i i want to say too i'm trying to remember i did watch a documentary on this i think on a and e a while ago um i want to say they were able to kind of narrow down the burlap sacks as well because even though in the area it was a big supplier you still need more than that, obviously, to be able to, you know, it could be different material or something like that. And I mm-hmm. want to say they were able to identify that it was similar to kind of what these women, um, you know, were found in when their bodies were found. The other thing is that this is similar to one of our suspects in the Jean Bonnet case, uh, Michael Helgoth, 
where if you remember it was the news conference where um the da was saying we're gonna find you you know we're we're narrowing in on the suspects and then he killed himself and they were looking for that Mm -hmm. for people that who would have a reaction to this kind of publicized event and would take their own lives so the next guy that i have is the actual convicted killer john bitrolf he was the married carpenter from manorville and he was a suspect in at least one of the Lisk murders, Long Island serial killer, by the way. This man, Bitrolf, had actual murders that he was accused of and that were confirmed and that he was arrested for. And the similarities between those confirmed murders and the Gilgo Beach murders are just, they're there, okay? Yeah. There's some similarities yeah. there. So he was arrested for murder in 2014, and by DNA he was linked to the murder of Rita Tangretti and Colleen McNamee, whose bodies were found in 93 and 94, both in Suffolk County. He was convicted of both these murders in May 2017. In September of that same year, he was sentenced to consecutive 25-year terms for each of those murders. And there was no real comment by the Suffolk police that he was the suspect in the Lisk case, um, again, due to the quote-unquote active investigation, right. um, his attorney rejected this assertion flat out, claimed that he was totally innocent when it came to the Gilgo c- killings, and that it was insane to think that he was involved in them. But you can't argue with these facts. Okay, here we go. First Let's of all, him. the torsos were found three miles from his home. Mm. The daughter of one of the Gilgo Beach murders was also found there. She was friends with Melissa Bartellamy, who you might recall Ooh, from before, this is was one of the interconnected four here. Gilgo Beach murders. And Melissa's mother said Melissa made lots of calls to Manorville Ooh. right before her murder. Okay? The thing that kind of killed the John Bitrolf theory is accents and this cracks me up because long island has a very specific accent that i've become well acquainted with over the years they checked in on the accent because obviously they had all of these different phone calls right and so they had this voice that they could analyze and see sort of okay what kind of voice does this guy have does he have a similar voice to this bit guy or do they not now here's the problem the lisk had a very neutral kind of newscastery yes. accent. He had no, no distinguishable, accent. yeah, accent. Nothing. No Boston. No New York. No nothing. And again, the New York accent is very distinctive. And mm-hmm. John Bitrolf had that accent. He mm. was a New Yorker through and through. He was very, you know, who are you looking at? What yeah. are you looking at? Um. Anyway, I'm walking here. <laughs> Regardless, he had the accent, and it helped clear him. Funny enough, being a New Yorker through and through. Yeah. Because he didn't have that newscaster accent. I mean, and they had all these phone records. I know. I I don't know. I'd have to get a feel for him, because obviously people can disguise their accents. Of course. But it is hard, I would say, to go neutral Agreed. from accented. Agreed, yeah. I don't know. Like don't you're know. saying with newscasters, like they have to go through training for that to get rid of any kind of, you know, accent. Right. So anyway, the last person that I want to discuss, the last yes. suspect 
is somebody who kind of goes along with this theory that the cops are covering something up. Mm. All right. So it's a fellow by the name of James Burke. And if you recall our Jean Benet series, a lot of you thought Burke did it. <laughs> I think this Burke did oh, it too. Yeah, I think we're or at confusing least, cases, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but Yeah, never name your kid Burke. Yeah, apparently. Never throw, not. Never throw a Burke in there. No. Whew. Um, but James Burke became the police chief of Suffolk County two years after Shannon's disappearance. And somewhere in the mid-90s, he was subject to an investigation because of a romantic relationship that he had with a convicted prostitute and drug offender who apparently he provided access to his police cruiser and his weapon. And as a result of this indiscretion, he was passed over for a big promotion. It was kind of an embarrassment, whatever. During the investigation of this Burke fellow, the Gilbert family attorney uncovered a sex worker who conducted business with James Burke and basically claimed, all right, this guy's somehow connected to the Long Island Whoa. killer. We don't know how. We There wasn't necessarily a strong tie, but this person knew he's beyond involved. the shadow. Of, he's somehow involved. So, and along the way, he also pled guilty to charges of assaulting a suspect. Ooh. Wait for it who stole a duffel bag out of his car, out of his police car. Okay. Now, he beat down this guy as soon as he grabbed the bag out of the car. What do you think was in the bag? A burlap sack. (laughs) (laughs) Close. The bag apparently contained a bunch of fucked up sex toys and fucked up pornography. Mm. Okay. So he just was a kind of a wayward fellow he was clearly into sex workers. He clearly fraternized with sex workers and had relationships with them. Sometimes gave them access to his cop car. Whatever. Yeah. Make your own choices. It was just, it was just as, uh, you know, your, as you said, your everyday sex workers. Uh, she left her bag in his car. That's all. Of course. After she, you know, borrowed his, his cop car. Exactly. Naturally. It's, it happens all the time. Oops. You know, yeah. took the wrong I bag. did it again. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. I did it again. So James Burke also was reported to have blocked the FBI probe into the Lisk case. Oh, he, so he was the one that, yeah, that he we were He was the one. Yeah, yeah, it totally is, um, during his time as the chief. And it's alleged that whoever the killer is, he must know a lot about police tactics. Yeah. And he used them to hide his work. So I don't know, y'all. I'm kind of feeling warm towards this James Burke fella. I'm just thinking, to me, I think it goes back also to the fact are these all connected all in all this is one of the most baffling serial murder cases in history i mean to have all these women who kind of fit a similar profile they're mostly sex workers it's the same period of 20 years when the bodies were dumped the police think they're kind of all related and just to have the lack of urgency in finding the killers because of who these women were. Yeah. I mean, granted, a lot of them were sex workers. It's, you know, it's a very stigmatized profession. But they were also mothers. They were sisters. They were daughters. They were so much more than their circumstances, which is what really created their profession and what led them to do what they did for a living. Um, And it's just so sad that they had to meet this horrible fate based on just what they did they were easy targets 
So I really wanted to thank our listener, Glitter Gypsy, on Instagram. Her name's Justine. She's a friend of ours. And she she's actually, been she's been awesome. She's been awesome all the way through. She's um, come forward with a lot of stuff on the Jean Benet case. She's a very vocal, awesome listener who would make just an incredible investigator herself. And she suggested this case to us. And I had never really heard of the Long Island Killer. I know you had. Yeah. Um, because I'm sort of the lunatic of the No, pair. I'm the crazy person that just <laughs> loves these cases. But yeah. But yeah. But I said, you know, Justine, I would love to do this case for you. I'd love to take this on the show. But I got to be honest with you. We are running a themed show here. We're trying to stick to the theme. And did any of these cases involve women? And Justine, like, it must have taken <laughs> her know, everything probably, not to yeah. burst out laughing. Because obviously, not only do these cases involve women, but they involve women of this certain subsect yeah. of, you know. Just a marginalized class that that is not getting the same protection and investigation that, you know, any other woman in society gets. If it's a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, you know, upper-class woman that goes missing she's gonna it's gonna be all across the news um and these women it took multiple bodies being found it took the quantity over you know just looking at somebody as an individual that's going missing aside from their circumstances it took multiple bodies being found for anybody to really take notice which i think is really sad Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Betsy Boss Podcast. If you'd like to find us online, our Instagram and Facebook are at Betsy Boss Podcast. Our Twitter is at Betsy Boss Pod. Our website is BetsyBossPodcast.com. And if you'd like to email us, we are at BetsyBossPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. 